I'd like to wish you all a very blessed new year, 2021. The epistle for this feast is taken from St. Paul's letter to Titus. Dearly beloved, the grace of God our Savior has appeared to all men, instructing us that denying ungodliness and worldly desires, we should live soberly and justly and godly in this world, looking for the blessed hope and coming of the glory of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, might cleanse to himself a people acceptable, a pursuer of good works. These things speak and exhort in Christ Jesus our Lord. Please stand for the gospel. The gospel is taken from the second chapter of the gospel of St. Luke. At that time, after eight days were accomplished, the child should be circumcised. His name was called Jesus, which was called by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. My dear faithful, Archbishop Fulton Sheen once famously remarked that there are only two philosophies of life. One, he says, is first the feast, then the hangover. The other, first the fast, and then the feast. What he wanted to point out is that Catholics, we as Catholics, as opposed to he's really contrasting us with Protestants, we believe that there's a process of penance that has to precede any sort of victory or celebration in this life. Um, There are many other ways to say this, like no pain, no gain, or uh, there's no free lunch in this life, or if at first you don't succeed, try, try again, these sorts of expressions. And this is exactly how the life of our Lord was lived. Um, Our Lord willed that the glorious mysteries only come after the sorrowful mysteries. He wanted to allow his enemies to triumph over him and cause him to suffer terribly before he triumphed over them. He wanted to sort of give the devil free reign, allow the devil to have his way before he destroyed the devil's kingdom forever. And this is how things work in our human condition. Uh, Before we can be an expert at something, we have to work hard and train for an extended period of time. Uh, Before we're able to achieve anything great in this life, we, we have to put forth a long and sustained effort. And the exact same thing is true, of course, in the supernatural order when it comes to the pursuit of holiness that we must be striving for in this life. If you want to attain holiness, if you want to reach union with God, well, you have to deny yourself, says our Lord. You have to take up your cross daily, and you have to follow our Lord. And only when you do that, over an extended period of time, will you find that his yoke is sweet and his burden light. Um, It's only then that you find that the way to human perfection is, is not by avoiding suffering. It is by accepting the sufferings that come to you for the love of God. This is the way Archbishop Sheen puts it. Uh, I think it's in the beginning of his uh, great book. It's a wonderful book, uh, The Life of Christ. He says, unless there is a Good Friday in our lives, there will never be an Easter Sunday. The cross is the condition of the empty tomb, and the crown of thorns is the preface to the halo of light. Deferred joys 
purchased by sacrifices are always the sweetest and the most enduring. Now, it may seem that Father Robinson is always getting his feast days mixed up um, in preaching the wrong sermon because this hardly seems to be an introduction to a sermon for the octave day of Christmas. But please stay with me. We're going to get back on track. If I mention this fact that fasting comes before feasting, that the sorrowful mysteries come before the glorious, that the cross comes before the crown, it's because I, I want to explain today that there is an important aspect of the liturgical year, and that is the existence of the octave. You know that today is the octave day of Christmas. I, I, I want to explain to you um, why there are octave days. Um, the, the reason for octaves is that the, the Catholic Church wants to take that fact of our life, that suffering comes before triumph. She wants to take that fact of our Lord's life, that the cross comes before glory, and she wants to sort of embed those realities into the liturgical year. And she does this by having two main cycles of the year, the Christmas cycle and the Easter cycle. And for both of those cycles, you have a period of fasting. And then when that is complete, you have a period of feasting. And, of course, we went through Advent, which is a period of penance, and now we're in that period of feasting. And so we come to the eighth day of Christmas, and there's, there's really two reasons for today's feast. The first reason is to celebrate our Lord's fulfillment of that law of circumcision and Him receiving officially His name of Savior. He comes as our Savior. And the second reason is precisely to celebrate that octave day of Christmas. Now, what's striking to me, and what I, I want to try to point out in explaining the, the reason for the existence of octaves, is that... Um, you have to put just as much effort into the period of feasting as you do to the period of fasting. Um, because we live in a very secularized world, um, as, our, as our societies become more and more de-Christianized, um, we find it difficult these days to sustain joy, as the church wishes us to do in the period of feasting. We find it difficult to feast and rejoice for the entire period that the church asks us to feast and rejoice. Either, you know, we're, we're, we're worldlings and we're feasting all the time, and so we take the joy out of feasting because um, there's no longer anything special about it. It's not prepared by a, a period of fasting. Or we're just so caught up in a puritanical lifestyle of, of work, 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 that we cannot take time out to enter into the liturgical year. And the result is that the church's periods of fasting can sometimes become more important or perhaps more prominent for us um, than her periods of rejoicing. We, we end up doing a better job of observing Advent than we do of observing Christmas, or we do a better job with our Lenten fast than with our Easter feast. But the fact is that, that we are... Um, in the mind of the church, we're exposed to extend our feasting longer than the periods of fasting. Um, and this is because heavenly joy, we know that, that we're headed towards heavenly joy, and that heavenly joy is, will, will last forever. And the time of sorrow that we have in this life will seem 
like a mere blip of time in comparison with that eternity of joy. And it's also meant to represent the fact that good will always ultimately win out. The good will always be uh, bigger than the bad. So what the church does in order to help us remain in the spirit of a feast and continue feasting for an extended period of time is give us the octave. There are three octaves in the liturgical year. There's one for Christmas, one for Easter, and one for Pentecost. And when we have the octave is what we, we stretch out a feast in time. We extend the feast day to not just one day, but eight days. It's almost as if on the day of, of the feast, we say, time out. We're going to pause time. And we're, we're, we're saying, okay, this day of the feast is too short. But there's no way that we're going to be able to properly celebrate this feast in one day. So what we're going to do is we're going to make it longer. We're going to make it eight days longer. And in that way, the day after Christmas is also Christmas Day, and the day after, and the day after. It's like every day is Christmas for a period of eight days. And then on that eighth day, it's like we look at our watch and we say, okay, you know, Christmas Day is coming to an end. Let us try to end that day with great solemnity. And so we celebrate the octave day. It's like re-celebrating Christmas Day one last time with that same first-class solemnities as we celebrated it on the 25th of December. Now, in Catholic countries of old, all of us would have a very deep sense of that octave. The society around us would be sustaining that Christmas joy in all of its intensity throughout the eight-day period. And this would have the effect of causing us to appreciate the mystery of Christmas at a deeper level. Um, the continuation of the celebration is meant to be the continuation of our penetration of the mystery that's being celebrated. Um, the church knows that there's no way we're going to grasp the richness of the mystery of the incarnation in one day, as if we just sort of open up our presents in front of the Christmas tree one day, and then the next day we throw up the tree, throw out the tree on the curb and box up the gifts and then get on with our lives. This would be the case if it were a purely secular holiday, and that's, that's what happens today in our secular society. Um, the feast day is not seen as being a feast at all. It's just seen as being a secular holiday. Um, you, you know, the, the main purpose is to just to take a break. You get together with family. Um, you exchange some gifts. And if, if that is the case, then, you know, it's all done and dusted in, in one day. Um, it's completely accessible. All you have to do is, is get the gifts open. You have to do the thing. You have to be with your family. And then really, you've accomplished the task of, of celebrating Christmas. Um, so the, the purpose in the, the secular mindset is not at all to rejoice in the fact that God has assumed the form of a tiny child in order to redeem us from our sins. And because it's reduced, the Christmas is reduced purely to the natural level, the, the entire depth of, of that natural perspective is able to be exhausted in one day. But if Christmas is something supernatural, 
if what it's about is God becoming Jesus our Savior, born in Bethlehem, then we're definitely not done with the feast when we've opened our presents on Christmas Day. In a sense, we're never done with the feast, and we're certainly not done with it after one day because it's supernatural. There's something there that we can never exhaust. It's beyond um, anything that we can fully penetrate. And so there's always room for going uh, more deeply into the mystery of Christmas. So the fact is, and the church knows this so well, we need to dwell in this mystery for an extended time so that we can appreciate it more deeply. And that's why she provides us the octave. It's the church inviting us to dwell in that mystery over a period of a week. Um, It's the, the church asking us to contain or sort of trap that Christmas joy, that joy that we experience at having God himself come, take our human form, so as to save us from our sins, to to take the joy that we experience from realizing this great goodness of God and extend it over a period of time. Every single day of the octave up to today, the church has had us pray in the post-communion of each of those masses that have have, uh, been said the past eight days. She has us say the following, Grant, Almighty God, that the Savior of the world who was born today, that he bestow immortality on us just as he has bestowed on us our divine adoption. So every day for the past eight days, the church has been referring to our Lord as being born today. And as I say, this indicates that in her mind, Christmas Day has existed for eight days. Somehow there's eight days. Christmas Day is not just one day. It's eight days. She's telling us to stay in that Christmas spirit, to live Christmas from day to day over a period of eight days so that it will have the significance for us that it should. And in these days of, of secularism, it's, it's all the more important for us to be aware of that spirit of the church. And and to the degree that we're able to live in that spirit that has sanctified all of our ancestors throughout the ages, uh, so we too, we will be able to maintain our faith and transmit that faith to our children and to our children's children. Whereas if we sort of um, lump ourselves in with with the, the atmosphere around us and see Christmas as just being one day, we will lose that ability to communicate the spirit of the faith. We have to keep Christmas going after Christmas Day. And keeping Christmas going means keeping the Christmas joy going. Um, To get to know Christmas better, the church wants you to be able to taste that joy of Christmas for an extended period of time. She wants you to understand what it means to have a Savior, uh, what a source of joy it must be for us to have that God who assumed a human nature and dwells among us. And so we keep singing the the very many Christmas carols that are full of joy and which celebrate the coming of our Lord. We take time off work. We spend more time with our family in pleasant activities. And hopefully we, we as well perform more spiritual activities during this time, such as attending Mass. Every time we attend Mass during this time, it reminds us, oh, I'm still in the Christmas season. Um, and we we just try to keep the Christ child present in our crush 
in our presence and rejoice in that presence. If we're able to keep that nativity scene before our eyes during this period of time, then we will be able to sustain that Christmas joy. Now, you may wonder why I'm saying to the, this to you after eight days, um, when, it, when it seems like, well, now we've come to the end, and Father, what do I do now? I mean, the eight days are up. I wish you told me this on Christmas Day. Well, the fact is that your opportunity to prolong the Christmas joy is not finished. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the, the, in the mind of the church, the period of feasting must be longer, always longer, than the period of fasting. Advent, the period of penance, lasted 26 days for us, from November the 29th this year um, until December the 24th. But the period of rejoicing in the mind of the church lasts longer. The church wants you to keep going even past today, even past the eighth day, the octave day. She wants you to keep going all the way up to the twelfth day, the Feast of the Epiphany, and even all the way up to the fortieth day. 40 days after Christmas, when the Christmas cycle officially ends, February the 2nd, she wants you to somehow sustain the Christmas joy. Of course, it will, it will decline over, over time, but she wants you to taste the joy of all the joyful mysteries throughout the Christmas season. So she has you um, contemplate successively the five joyful mysteries of the rosary until we get to uh, February the 2nd. And as I say, you're, you're, these, this is meant to be an extension of the Feast of Christmas. And if you're living the spirit, the Catholic spirit, then you're going to make that effort to continue to rejoice with the Christmas joy all 40 days. So my dear faithful, if we rejoice today, it's not primarily because it's the first day of a new calendar year. We rejoice because we are giving that um, final solemnity to Christmas Day. We are prolonging our Christmas joy and we will, God willing, continue to prolong it, keeping in our hearts the mysteries of our Lord's hidden life until February the 2nd, the 40th day. So on this day and on the days that follow, I invite you to remain in that spirit of Christmas. Try to learn how to follow that spirit of the church by stretching your joy out, your Christmas joy out through this entire month of January. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.